1: and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dad Welcome to what is maybe the best victory Monday ever. I am still riding a high right now. I did not want to go to bed last night just watching the highlights and looking at every single stat. It's like just a injection of dopamine right in my face. But man, I just snapped. First of all, staying up late, still getting up early. I'm not even tired. I'm good. Let's do it. let's do it again. So fired up right now. The hardest part of all this is going to be keeping track of everything. I actually, I'm like laying in bed taking notes of every little synapse that's firing in my brain, every thought I had. I'm trying to write down. So I've got this jumbled up pile. Just it's not even. It's just a list of every little thought that I had last night. So my goal for today, um, on top of just having a massive party with you this morning, is to try to get through my list in a way that is halfway coherent, and also, as usual, try not to miss anything massive, which I'm probably going to, but I just, you know... Okay, where to even begin? Let's start with the fact that the biggest question, just, just in general, there's a lot of little mini questions, I'm trying to keep myself on track here, without looking at the mini question. The question of, is this team for real, was answered. This has to be, and I know there are other great games, this has to be one of the more dominant performances that there's been all year. I know, I'm, I'm, I've been getting dinged with a lot of hyperbole lately. Maybe I'm just getting all jacked up because we're getting, ready to the, getting into the postseason. I don't know, but I'm just... He, he, here's part of the reason I'm saying that. I had mentioned, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. I said, man, I can't remember... The Packers just whooping on a team since, uh, oh, how about the last time we played the Titans? And it was, you know, kind of a funny joke, right? He's like, yeah, but the Titans sucked at that, that year. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I started genuinely thinking, when was the last time off the top of your head that you can remember the Packers annihilating a legitimate playoff contender? I'm sure it's happened. I'm not saying I've I've gone through the whole memory bank and I remember absolutely everything. What I am saying is it feels like it's been a while. And we're already getting to a point now where it's like, all right, got to start looking stuff up. I don't have time for it, but I'm doing it anyways. I don't care. We're doing this right. I've got the answer for you, folks. Um, at least in the last 10 years, and I'm, I'm we'll, we'll, we'll expand this because now I'm really curious. The best team, this was a 26-point victory. Now, we have beaten teams that are decent um, by that wide of a margin. The best records, though, were 10-6. and six. The, um... 2010 New York Giants, the Green Bay Packers beat 45 to 17, the 10 and 6 2014 Philadelphia Eagles, the Packers beat 53 to 20, and then the 10 5 and 1 2016 Seattle Seahawks. Interestingly enough, the first two teams did not even go to the playoffs. This game was 38 to 10, the Green Bay Packers beat the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks did go to the playoffs. So, if there's any team that the Packers beat that's somewhat comparable, it would be the um, 10-5 and 1 2016 Seattle Seahawks. The Packers won 38-10. Assuming the uh, Tennessee Titans beat the Houston Texans, that will give them 11 wins. This will be um, arguably the best team that they beat by a wide. So, so it has happened, but um, it's a it's a rarity. I mean, first of all, there aren't that many games, period, that the Packers have won by a 26 point margin. There are 12 in the last 10 years. Most of them were bad teams. The uh, 2011 8 and 8 Denver Broncos, 2012 6 and 10 Tennessee Titans, 2014 5 and 11 Mark Trestman Chicago Bears, 2010 6 and 10 uh, Wade Phillips Dallas Cowboys, 2011 3 and 13 Leslie Frazier Minnesota Vikings, the uh, 2014 7 and 9 Mike Zimmer Vikings, 2011 Hugh Jackson 8 and 8 uh, Oakland Raiders um vikings again under brad childress in 2010 four and 12 chan gailey buffalo bills in 2010 geez what ten, 2010 we just destroyed some people and that's that's it in the last 10 years so roughly once a year that's happened but only one other time it was a team that made it to the playoffs as far as other teams dominating really good teams um tennessee actually beat buffalo by twenty six points, forty two to sixteen, so basically the exact same score, which doesn't make me feel bad because Tennessee's the team we just whooped on. Um, Tampa over the Packers, obviously. Um, Cleveland twice. Pittsburgh and Baltimore beat Cleveland by thirty one and thirty two points. That's kind of a weird one because, as I've said, Cleveland is one of those teams that one week it's the best team in football, the next week they're just garbage. Uh, the Saints beat Tampa three to thirty five that is it, pending any other beatings that happened this week, because they're not updated on here yet, but um, yeah, I mean, just glorious. Now, the other thing that makes this really exciting is, unlike a lot of these games that I've listed, first of all, and again, it answers the question, is this a real football team? A lot of people thought, not only would the Packers lose, they'd get annihilated, because if the Packers are genuinely a paper dragon, and they're more or less fake and, and they're beating up on bad teams, but they can't handle good teams. And this is the number one offense in football. And add to that, this is a Tennessee Titans environment. I don't want to hear anyone talk about how you all well, that it's because of the snow. Nonsense. That's in the Titans' favor. Well, little did I know AJ Dillon would be getting the bulk of the carries. Shocked and stunned, but we'll get there. But even so, Derrick Henry and A.J. Dillon are a horse apiece. Quite literally. And then you add in their wide receivers, are absolute monster. They're built for cold weather, smash mouth foot. The Jeez, I'm, I just, oh, oh, I couldn't get the sentence out. I just freaked out. Sorry, I think I broke something. The, the Green Bay Packers, oh, give me a minute here. Give me just one, one minute. This is such a, such a big moment and I can't even get the words out. The Packers won this game because they out-physicaled the Tennessee Titans. A team that gets knocked for not being physical out-physicaled in freezing cold playoff Green Bay weather one of the most physically dominant football teams in football. They actually drew up a game plan to be physical, which leads me to... Man, i got to start checking these things off or something because I'm going to miss something. The actual first note on here... Kudos to Mike Pettin and Matt LaFleur for for this game plan, because as I've said, one of the things that's really annoying about a lot of coaches is the inability to adapt, and we know the offense likes to be a little bit finesse, not that that's really Matt LaFleur's style, but in a sense it kind of can be. And even if it's not, they don't usually win a lot when they're playing physical smash-mouth football. They're really good when they're kind of dink and dunk and throw it here, throw it there, run over here. You know, it's, it's misdirection, it's confusion. Defense, Petten, as big and scary as he looks, is a big old teddy bear when he calls, calls plays. Six DBs, soft coverage, soft and off, right? Somewhere, at some point, Matt LaFleur and Mike Petten and some of the boys got together and said, you know what? Forget this. If we're going to win cold weather, blizzard, snowy football, and they're going to come in here and try to smack us around? Nonsense. Now, in reality, and, and this is why, again, fan how you want a fan. And, and anybody that's like, oh yeah, I'm sure you know more than the coach. Sometimes we get a little bit of an outside perspective. And I think coaches sometimes coach from a comfort perspective matt lafleur knows what he knows and he's very comfortable doing what he knows and mike petten knows what he knows it takes a lot for a coach to say i'm out of my comfort zone if we do that and if we do that i basically just have to rely on you guys doing a really really good job and that scares me i want to be in control these guys some of them can be control freaks a little bit rather than asking you to just go out and win i'm going to try to outsmart them but they just unleash the hounds he, he he put bodies in the box and said, go get Derrick Henry. And then he went to his corners and he said, listen, that leaves you guys isolated, which we've talked about this before. Doesn't it make infinitely more sense to stack the box and trust your corners when you got guys like Amos and Savage and Jair? I know King and, and Chandon are uh, a little bit more iffy, but there are a lot of teams that do this that have not quite as the quality of talent that we have. Oh, just out of. A- flash that i needed to talk about savage and i freaked out again i can't handle this team man i cannot handle this team i'm gonna die from joy just thinking about this team but anyways they did what i think might be a winning formula going forward and by the way something else a couple things to keep in mind too many things too many th- back up back up man my brain is crazy my brain works like these bills in washington like hey here's a thought and then, like, my brain starts taking. Here's, here's six other thoughts. Let's cram it in there. And then it's like this 70 billion page bill that they're like, here, tell them this. It's like, get it. You know what? Rip it up. We're not, I can't. It's too much. One at a time. That's the way it works. We're going to, my goal is to be better than Washington, D.C. Let's see if I can pull it off. So rewinding here, something to keep in mind. If the Packers beat the Bears, we're talking cold weather football that runs through Green Bay. There are two victories away from a Super Bowl. Both of those games would go through Lambeau Field. They've got one more cold-weather, smash-mouth game against a Chicago Bears team that, if anything, has been as impressive and scary as the Packers. Just from the sta- And I almost tweeted this out yesterday, but I was really scared there was an impending collapse coming for the Packers, so I waited. But the two scariest things in the NFL recently is the fact that the Bears have an offense and the Packers have a defense. And again, I'll remind you, this Bears offense really kicked off after their bye. They scored 30, 36, 33, and now 41. But the first game out of their bye was the Packers. They only scored 25. At the time, it seemed like the Packers defense gave up a lot. Given what they've done recently, which is to say in the last four weeks, the Packers offense has scored 35 points. Excuse me, the Bears offense has scored 35 points. The Packers defense only allowed them to score 25. So again, what seemed like not a great performance actually might have been a very good performance. And this defense, if you remove that um, punt return for the Philadelphia Eagles for Jalen Rager, is allowing currently less than 16 points per game. That includes playing the number one offense in football, which by the way, I don't know if they are number one anymore. Let's see if we can do a little math because the Packers just put up a 40-burger and took the titans down to 14 points by the way kansas city played like garbage against the falcons yeah the packers are beating the tennessee titans by about 14 points actually exactly 14 points so they took a two touchdown lead over the titans and um the chiefs are basically right there with the titans so yeah the packers have a pretty commanding lead should be anyways unless i'm missing something for the number one offense in football. And this is as the defense continues to ascend. And again, if you just look at the overall right now, and, and again, um, this hasn't really been updated because the scores haven't been updated, but number three overall offense, which is now the number one offense, and number 14 overall defense. But again, the reason why you take the offense seriously and not the defense is because the offense has been consistent. We went over this. Averaging 30 points per game basically the entire year. The first half of the year, about 30 points per game. The second half of the year, basically 30 points per game. The last four weeks, about 30 points per game. However, let's redo the math. Well, no, it'll be about the same because we lose Chicago, we gain Tennessee, exact same thing. We beat, we put up 41 on Chicago. So it stays about 30 points per game. The defense, however, has gotten better and better and better and better. And that continues to go up. Again, the last time they did something not great was against the Colts, and that was largely a special teams failure short field after short field after short field after short field before that was Jacksonville they scored 20 but seven of those points came from special teams so that's 13 points to the Jaguars 17 points to the 49ers I mean this defense has been going strong for a pretty long time 28 points to the Vikings isn't great but it's the Vikings 20 points to the Texans isn't bad I mean it's just it's just, it's not a bad defense it's just not and really even before that the 21 to Detroit and 16 to the Falcons and at the time the Falcons were considered one of the top offenses i mean with 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 the exception of a couple of blips two relatively high scoring game to the games to the vikings who have a scary offense at times inconsistent but scary the saints who have a pretty good offense tampa which was just a complete fluke game as roger said which proved to be true and the colts which is largely a special teams disaster Otherwise, we're looking at what? 21, 16, 20, 17, 13, 25, 9, 24, 16, 14. That's the Packers' defense this year. By the way, the whole knock on the Packers' inability to stop the run, I I don't know that that's really been much of a thing for a decent while now. It's not great, but it's, it's always been a little bit overblown. For example, not including this game, they ranked 20th. That's not good, but that means there are 12 teams that are worse. But even so, the expectation is, even though maybe that's a little bit overblown, um, they're going to get rocked in this game. You've got a freight train in Derrick Henry in very slippery weather, which makes it real hard to tackle. The guy had 23 carries, 98 yards, 4.3 yard average. 98 yards. The Tennessee Titans have been kept under 100 yards rushing, although if you add in the quarterback, obviously, that was a pretty big scamper but 123 yards is the fourth least amount of rushing yards they've had all year. Chicago Bears allowed 92, Pittsburgh 82, Cleveland 62. It was just its just a good effort by the Packers. That's all there is to it. They won. By the way, several rounds of applause for myself today. I'm going to be doing some self-congratulation. The first of which, um, there's a lot of reasons you could say the Packers won this game. I like my reasons, and I stick by them. Defensively, the defensive line has to win up front. Period. End of story. They did. That's huge. Offensively, I said they just need to be efficient at spreading the ball around. Everybody needs to step up. None of this, this guy has a bad day, that guy has a bad day. Did anybody have a bad day? Was anybody messing up? Did anybody along the offensive line have a bad day? Did any of the running backs, To the quarterback, did any of the wide receivers, To the tight end, did anybody have a bad day? I'm sure somebody did, but I didn't see it. it. Didn't cost us anything. Those guys were dominant up front. So again, it, it answers the question, is this team for real? And there's no way around it. Yes, they are. Now, you could say, well, any given Sunday, right? Maybe this was kind of a fluke. The problem is, and, and here's another thought that I tabled. I told you that Aaron Rodgers essentially made a run-the-table comment on November 22nd after losing to the Colts. I said it was, a, it was almost an identical parallel. And the run-the-table comment, he said in the locker room, he said, look, something happened. Something clicked in this game. I know it sounds weird. It wasn't a very good game, but something very real happened. I think we can run the table. After the loss of the Colts, he said essentially, look, I know this is going to sound weird, but this was a great practice. This something really clicked for us. We went from, from practicing like a good team to a great team. Since then, they beat the Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, and Titans. They have not lost a game since. This is after going 3-3 three and three after the bye. The Packers were 3-3. Three and three. Rodgers comes out and says something's different about this team. They haven't lost since. They won five in a row. And they're one Chicago Bears victory away from going 13-3 for the second time this season for getting the number one seed, being one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team, going into the playoffs. It certainly ain't the Chiefs. Remember what I said about flying too close to the sun? They're barely winning all of these games. Since their bye week, 31-35, 24-27, 16-22, 27-33, 29-32. Now this week, 17-14. to They're a real good team. They got more than enough talent to win, but they're playing a dangerous game. They tried doing that stuff in the playoffs. It's not going to go very well. But the Packers now are in a position where they could possibly, next week, not only clinch the number one seed, but eliminate the Bears from the playoffs. I mean, things just can't get much better right now. So I'll have to revisit this um, once this gets updated with the scores and whatnot, but I'm curious as of the last four or five weeks where the Packers' offense and defense ranks. Again, I'll get back to that later because it's not quite updated, and um, obviously this is going to shift some things pretty drastically when you talk about 40 points on offense and 14 allowed on defense. Over the last four weeks, not including this week, meaning you know, five weeks ago, the Packers' offense is like 7th the Packers defense is 10th. The Packers offense just passed several teams, and when you look at how close some of these teams are, for example, the ninth best defense the last several weeks has been Miami. They allowed 81, or 80, the Packers allowed 81. Miami allowed 12 more points than the Packers did. So the offense and defense um, over the last five weeks is going to be one of the more dominant. Again, I'll get that when that becomes available, Um, but easily top 10 in both categories, which is fantastic. By the way, I know we're kind of bouncing around quite a bit here, but again, the notes are are what they are. Um, To further establish how good this defense really was, the lowest scoring game the, the Tennessee Titans have, and remember, they're averaging recently about 40 points per game. This is a good offense that the last four weeks has gone from good to absolutely unstoppable. 40 points a game is ridiculous, but the worst game they had was week one, which is basically throw that in the trash, 16 points. If you disregard that, it was 17 points to the Colts. Those are the only games they've allowed, allowed, allowed below 20. But just think about what that strategy was. We're going to stop the run and dare you to throw. Since when do the Packers decide we're going to stop somebody from running the football? I didn't think we had that. That, that was an option. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I know I said it's been overblown, but just completely shutting down the number one running back in football—I didn't think that was an—I didn't know that there was a switch somewhere that we could just flip and make that happen. Absolutely incredible. And listen, it's—it's it's not a switch that we can flip, and it's not an option. The fact of the matter is, the—the the, in order for this strategy to work, it was—it went beyond Pettin just declaring it. These guys had to step up, and they stepped up in a giant way. Kenny Clark was a monster in this game. Every time I looked at him, he was killing the guy in front of him. The guys on the edge: Rashawn Gary, Preston Zadarius. I can't say I watched them every single snap, but those guys were incredible, especially Rashawn against the run. Dean Lowry, I know, several times. I mean, they were just manhandling. Not only did they dominate the guys in front of them, but they were able to disengage and bring down Derrick Henry. Even if even if Derrick Henry dragged them for three yards, just the fact that they were consistently grabbing him and bringing him down about four yards, the fact that they were in about third and four-ish consistently was fantastic because four yards is not a guaranteed run on the ball, so then they had to throw. Just absolutely incredible effort. And the linebackers, I'm sure, were involved in that. I know I saw Kamal on at least one really good play. I don't think you can have a dominant uh, run defense performance without any uh, help from your linebackers. But uh, Amos, as usual, coming up and making big plays in the backfield. Unbelievable effort by the safeties once again. Amos again helping in the run game think he also had a pass breakup which is kind of his his mo he's running all over the place tackling people and gets a pass breakup and then savage with a pick and a pass breakup i just there's so much to say The i don't want to get into players yet i think the second half of this is all going to be players so i'm going to wait on that but there you go lowest score the titans have had all year just as they're heating up i mean you you, you basically had two things you had a Titans offense that was getting better, 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 better. You had a Packers defense that's getting better and better and better and better. The question is, who was going to win? Was the Packers defense going to stop the unstoppable Titans offense, or was the Titans offense going to completely steamroll this Packers defense? I think most people, including Packer fans, would have said, yeah, I don't know if we win this battle. Maybe we hold them to less than 40, which was my expectation. I I think the Packers defense steps up and does a good job in something similar to the Bears where you're maybe not super happy with the score, but given the context, it's not that bad. If they get roughly 30-ish, it's not great, but it's less than what they've been doing. 14, though? 14, dude? Yeah, I don't know about that. Anyways, a lot of what I have left is just kind of going player by player and and just heaping massive amounts of praise. So we're going to do that in the second half. If you appreciate the work that I'm doing here, I would love it if you jump over to patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join up for my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, just as a way to say thank you. Occasionally I throw a couple little perks in Patreon or whatever, but it's super erratic and inconsistent. So um, if you're doing it because you're getting great value from Patreon, don't bother. Um, If you want to do it just to support me, that would be fantastic. I would appreciate it. There are other ways to support the show. Venmo, I keep saying cash up, cash app, but I keep forgetting to put it in there. It is a thing though. Pack Pod is my thing. I don't know. I've never, I've literally never used it before. I've never given or gotten anything on it, so I'm not really sure how it works. But I know it's one of those things the kids do. But again, one of one of the biggest ways you can help is just by spreading the word. Um, let your friends know. Let your family know. Whatever it is you can do to just get the word out about the podcast. Um, YouTube. Any of the many endeavors, uh, joining the Facebook group, the Facebook page, invite your friends to the group or to to the pages. That would be massively helpful. Invite all your Packer friends to um, the Packernet Podcast Facebook page or the Cheese and Packers Facebook page. Massively helpful. So again, anything and, and everything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Speaking of, I've got some uh, big shout-outs. I don't know what I said yesterday on the podcast that got people so excited, but um, first of all, big shout-out to Ryan. It's a little bit overdue, but um, one of my biggest, one of my oldest supporters jumped on with a uh, a, a sizable donation. Really, really appreciate that. Zachary jumped in uh, yesterday with another fairly sizable donation. So Zachary Grolke, thank you so much for that. And then a super sizable donation from uh, Brian and Matt Walter. Thank you for your yearly subscription. Absolutely fantastic. Um, As I said, the the donations were flying and then just kind of came to a halt, and I completely understand with the holidays, with the coronavirus, and with the amount of suffering that's going on, I'm really just not worried about it. I'm grateful to have a job, and um, just being able to do this is, you know, listen, I I did this podcast every, well, not every day, but did this podcast for two years before a single red cent came my direction. So it's not a requirement. If everybody stops giving and the ads all go away, I'm still going to be here maybe (laughs) but i just wanted to uh give a shout out to those guys and um let you know how much i really appreciate it again i know times are tough and so there's an extra amount of appreciation um when i get a little something these days but anyways why don't we go ahead and take a break here we'll come back and just kind of run through the roster and just start heaping praise on all the people we'll be right back all right, why don't we get started with some of the game insights here? Um, just because that's a good way to kind of get the ball rolling. NFL.com gives a couple little uh, tidbits that are great, and I always love it when you scroll through here because they do both teams, and it's basically all just Green Bay Packers. First off, Aaron Rodgers is sixty-eight one and one at home when leading at halftime as a starter, including playoff. Let me read that again. Aaron Rodgers is sixty-eight one and one at home. When leading at halftime as a starter, including the playoffs. Their only loss. My goodness. Their only loss. Week 13, 2018 versus Arizona. Go figure. That's amazing. Moving on. The Packers are 15-2 and at home since 2019, including the playoffs. That is the highest win percentage at home in the NFL in that span. It's actually funny because we started off being a little bit concerned about the lackluster effort at home. They seemed to be doing fine on the road, but at home they weren't really putting in the work. Clearly that is not the case anymore. That's what happens when you give us a couple fans back. Just put like five people in the stands and the Packers just get all jacked up. Aaron Rodgers has a 100 or more passer rating in 13 games this season. Wait a minute, haven't they played 14, <laughs> or is it 15 games this year? <laughs> played 15 games. Anyways, that is tied for the most in a single season in the Super Bowl era. Meaning, if he gets a 100-plus passer rating next week, he should have the record, right? Incredible. Quarterback comparisons between Tannehill and Rodgers in Week 16. 121 yards for Tannehill, 231 for Rodgers. One touchdown, two interceptions compared to four touchdowns, one interception. 55 rushing yards to 19 rushing yards, 16.34 fantasy points compared to 25.14 fantasy points. Yeah, that's marginally, marginally interesting. Check this out, talking about fantasy. Devontae, if you drafted Devontae, my goodness. There have been eight games this season in which a wide receiver had 40 or more fantasy points. Devontae Adams has accounted for three of those eight. What? Again, man, I'm, I'm telling you. Aaron Rodgers, number one quarterback, Devontae, number one wide receiver, Lindsley, number one center, Bakhtiari, number one tackle, Jair, arguably number one corner, Savage and Amos, possibly right now the best number one safety duo. There's some flaws here, but it's, this is a freakishly, horrifyingly scary football team right now. Absolutely terrifying. Devante Adams has a hundred or more receiving yards for the seventh time this season, the most such games by a Green Bay player in a single season since Jordy Nelson in 2014. Aaron Rodgers is five and zero with 20 passing touchdowns and one interception in primetime games this season. That's good to know because the playoffs are a little bit primetime, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's all good news. They're they're winning late, they're winning at home, they're winning in cold weather. They're winning in prime time. Granted, they're winning most of the games anyways. But all the little indicators in which you'd say, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this? Because the playoffs are different. All those seem to be in the Packers' favor. The Packers have scored 30 or more points in 11 games this season, tied for their most such games in a single season since 1940. Wow. Packers have had some good offenses. I'm just saying. Aaron Rodgers has four or more passing touchdowns for the 15th time since 2015. Wait a minute. Oh, in a game. Got it. I was like, wait, what? I didn't hardly read the stat. Just leave me alone. All right. I'm kind of blanked out on that one. 15th time since 2015, he has thrown for four or more passing touchdowns. Yeah. It feels like he does that all the time. Like that's not even that big of a deal. I'm sure that's a great stat for another team, but I'm looking at that like, that's it? 15? That's weird. I feel like he does it almost every game. Devontae Adams has 61 receiving touchdowns in 99 career games since entering the NFL in 2014, tied for the second most in the NFL in that span. They didn't tell me who was also there. But a freak, especially when you consider the slow start he had. Got a bunch more Devontae, so buckle up, folks. Devonte Adams has joined the Hall of Fame's Chris Carter and Randy Moss as the only players with 100-plus receiving and 16-plus uh, receiving touchdowns in a single season in NFL history. That's 100-plus receptions. I was like, wait a minute, 100-plus receiving? 100 yards in a season? That doesn't make sense. Receptions. They're, they they got back-to-back REC in here. One of them is receptions, one of them is receiving. Devontae Adams has six-plus receptions in 11 straight games. Second-longest streak by a Green Bay Packer since 1950. And then we got a Titans thing here. Jonu Smith has surpassed Dave Casper and Willie Frazier for most touchdowns by a tight end in a single season in franchise history. Congratulations to John U. Smith for passing uh, Dave Casper, whoever that is. By the way, eight touchdowns, Tunyon already has that beat. But congratulations for being great for your franchise. Aaron Rodgers has 22 pass touchdowns. We're still going. 22 passing touchdowns in the second quarter of this season, the most by uh, a single quarter. They read this on air, so you already know it, but I want to read this correctly. 22 passing touchdowns in the second quarter of this season, the most in any single quarter in any single season by a player since 1991. Okay, spit that out. Ruin the joke. We Got a Darnell Savage. His interception in the second quarter was his fourth in the last five games. He had zero interceptions in weeks one through 11. I'm going to pause here. Just because it came up. I'm going to brag for the second time now. And I know there's another brag. I don't remember what it was. We'll see if it comes up. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Anyways, I was asked prior to the season, To pick one breakout player, who do you think it's going to be? Guess who I picked? Mr. Darnell Savage. Boom roasted. Batting a 1,000, folks. It was a close one. I thought maybe I swung and missed on that one. But if Darnell Savage isn't a breakout player, I don't know what a breakout player is. Moving on. Devontae Adams is the sixth player in NFL history with 100-plus receptions, 1,200 receiving yards, and 15 receiving touchdowns in a single season. Still got a game to go. But one of six in NFL hit. Think about how many wide receivers on how many teams over how many years. We're talking thousands. Thousands. He's one of six to have accomplished what he's accomplished. By the way, he's been hurt. He didn't play a whole year. Good. Oh, my good, They have to win a Super Bowl. They have to. They ha- This is unbelievable. Devontae Adams has one or more receiving touchdowns in nine straight Sunday night football games, the longest streak in NFL history. Finally, the last note, the Packers are one of three teams to allow fewer than 30 points in each home game this season. Only one of three teams that have allowed fewer than 30 points in each of their home games, the Rams and the Steelers, possibly the top two defenses in football, are the only other two teams that have done that. Remarkable. Now, Let's go back up to the top. I want to look at the stats individually as we go through each of these players and just kind of heap some praise on them. First of all, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has never really been that big of a yards guy. I don't know why. I don't know what it is that makes a yards guy a yards guy. I don't know if it's just terrible field position, throwing the ball more. I don't know what it is. Not that he's always been. He's just He gets a billion touchdowns, and he's like eh, third or fourth or fifth in yards. 21 of 25, 231 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. The pick was ugly. It is what it is. I don't know. I think my, my least favorite moment of the whole game, and, and th- this is, this by the way, the fact that this is the low point of the game, in my opinion, speaks volumes. After that pick, Rodgers could not stop shaking his head. He couldn't let it go. I, I mean, I, I just, I was worried. Like, dude, stop. Stop shaking your head. They kept showing him on the sidelines shaking his head. He was so mad. I want him to bounce back. Right? Because I worry about that stuff. Like, you know... You start getting in people's heads, and you start, whenever he starts shaking his head, it's not a good thing. He starts getting up in his head, he stays up in his head, and things don't go well. Fortunately, apparently that had no bearing on anything. And again, that was, that's the only, literally, I'm trying to think, what is a low point in this game? What is the worst thing that happened? Rodgers threw a pick, and he kept shaking his head on the sideline. There you go. That's it. That's the whole list. That's the entire list of, of bad things. Unbelievable performance from MVP Aaron Rodgers. Then we come to the running backs. Oh, the running backs. (sighs) First, let's start with Tim Boyle, complete loser. Three carries, minus three yards. I can't even believe that guy. Yes, I'm joking. He took a knee. That's what happened, but still funny because there are some people that are obsessed with Tim Boyle, and I think it's a little silly, so I'm going to pick on him a little bit. Aaron Rodgers, three carries, 19 yards, 6.3 average. I'm working my way up. Aaron Jones, 10 carries, 94 yards, 9.4 yard average freak, right? Granted, Big part of the reason was that giant scamper down the sideline that definitely should have been called back on live TV. I was like, oh, he was out. It was it was painfully obvious just in a flash of a second. Like, oh, he stepped. Out. I saw it back there. Whatever doesn't. I mean, come on. This is one of those games where you can't even pick out anything and say that the Packers cheated. Where? Oh, there was that one offsides that wasn't offsides, and Aaron Jones. Ta- okay, fine. What does that account for? You lost forty to fourteen. Shut up. I don't want to hear you. But great game from Aaron Jones. Um, as as sad as it is, because there are some people I saw on Twitter saying that the A.J. Dillon Dillon thing is sad because it means Jamal's gone. No, it doesn't. It means Aaron Jones is gone. And we probably knew that already, but it has nothing to do with Jamal. It has to do with Aaron Jones. But A.J. Dillon, 21 carries. Which, By the way, as I said, Aaron Jones for the first time saw 20 carries because they start ramping up the carries toward the end of the season, and they were keeping Aaron Jones fresh. But A.J. Dillon has always been the guy that's a 20-carry-per-game guy. 21 carries, 124 yards, two touchdowns, 5.9-yard average. (sighs) I could sit here for another hour and just talk about A.J. Dillon. How happy I was watching that game, I I can't describe to you. And by the way, he still looked a little raw to me. There were a couple plays, you know, one where he got tackled in the backfield, and it's like, you know probably shouldn't have cut it outside he should have just went straight up the middle there was a little bit of an alleyway there you're going to get probably four out of it but he got greedy he tried to bounce it around the outside he lost a yard or two on that but even some of these he looks kind of you know not to be negative i mean to be positive he still looks a little bit raw i think if he had aaron jones's vision it's it's just the sky is the limit this is basically his first game getting real time snap And he just completely carved up this defense, even half the time just bumbling his way right through people, like a hot knife through butter. And he managed six yards per carry. Unbelievable effort from A.J. Dillon. Okay, here's something else. This is my other brag, but but let's start off with a massive kudos, and I already said this, but massive kudos to Matt LaFleur, because I said the biggest reason, I don't think we're going to see a lot of A.J. Dillon, and I really didn't. I figured maybe five carries. We saw Jamal against Carolina, four carries as the number two. This is such a big game. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe their whole thing coming into this was, you know, we don't have to win this game. This is a great time to showcase A.J. A. Dillon, see what he's got. I don't know what the thought process was. But in my mind, we really want to win this game. And what do we know about Matt LaFleur and, and Mike Pettin in general? They lean on what they trust, and they trust Aaron Jones. They trust Aaron Jones. That's it. And so as much as I know Matt LaFleur is obsessed with A.J. Dillon, and this is my brag, I told you a long time ago... A.J. Dillon is a Matt LaFleur guy, 100,000%. Aaron Jones is not. Aaron Jones is a great running back. He really is, and everybody would love to have him. Matt LaFleur wants a Derrick Henry. He wants a guy that he can grind into the in, just over and over and over again. He wants a 20-carry-per-game guy. That's just his style. That's the kind of offense he runs. Big, massive, powerful. He want, I mean, he wants to be the Tennessee Titans, essentially. Which, by the way, he's for the billionth time, he made Derrick Henry who he is. He showed the Titans, this is how you use him, you bunch of dummies. Your he Derrick Henry was a number two running back for like four years. He was basically a backup for a year. Matt LaFleur gets over there, he's like, um, no, he's not going to be my backup. And it's just, the rest is history. So he comes to Green Bay and says, listen, I want Derrick Henry. This is my guy, I want him. A.J. Dillon, go get me that guy. That's Derrick Henry. That's him. I, I, That's 100% him. As big, as fast, as strong. That's my guy. So what I had said is, and this is true of a lot of guys, DeGuara, same thing. These are his guys. And he is going to use what works. But he's not going to wait one second longer than he has to to get A.J. Dillon out there grinding. And apparently, for some reason... He said, this is it. And I didn't expect it at all. I didn't expect out of nowhere for this to happen. But as I said early on, and, and a lot of people said I was I was nuts. you don't bench Aaron Jones for an A.J. Dillon, and I'm not saying he's benched, but y- you get my point. A.J. Dillon is what Matt LaFleur wants. He has been begging and pleading and dying to get A.J. Dillon rolling. The only person on planet Earth that's more excited about A.J. Dillon, then I am, is Matt LaFleur, and I'm including A.J. Dillon's mom. She's, she's a close third. <laughs> just to give you a little bit of insight here, this is uh, via J.J. Leahy. Obviously, it's via Matt LaFleur, but he quoted it and put it out here and sent it to me, so I'm going to give him credit. Does a great job, as I've said before, in terms of uh, just being a newsy guy, breaking news type stuff, does a good job. But here's a little quote that he pulled out of the press conference, which I still haven't even listened to yet because I just need to come down here and get going. Oh, the Nashville guy was killed in the bombing. That's a shame. Anyways, sorry, Twitter distractions. This is a quote from Matt LaFleur. A.J. Dillon, quote, has gotten so much better in pass protection, says Matt LaFleur. Continuing, there are times when I was calling for him some more, and Ben Sermons, the running back coach, said he needs a breather. In other words, he didn't want to take, he wanted him to get more, he ate some of these great carries by Aaron Jones, he was just spelling A.J. Dillon. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not exaggerating here it's possible that this just because it was a cold weather game and it was snowing and all that stuff we might have A.J. Dillon as a starting running back from this point until eternity this might be it A.J. Dillon may be our starting running back from now and by the way we're playing the Bears in Chicago cold weather maybe I'm wrong about it but again if, if I'm right that essentially A.J. Dillon was always Matt LaFleur's guy and really he just it's, it's just how do you turn away from Aaron Jones he's so good and I agree with that but the point is, again, this whole thing, the whole reason this offense is as good as it is is because it finally clicked, and Matt LaFleur was finally able to open up his playbook a little bit. Year one, he couldn't really do it. He couldn't run the Matt LaFleur offense because the guys just didn't really know it. So it was, again, it's kind of like a hybrid, halfway there, whatever. Matt LaFleur is still slowly unraveling this offense, and A.J. Dillon is a massive component to the Matt LaFleur offense. This is, this is sort of the final piece. Although I do think that there, uh Deguara might legitimately be the, the actual final piece. As silly as that sounds, to have that sort of sort of use check H back fullback slash tight end, and that that's not to say that he takes the spot of of Tunyon because they're they're technically different positions. What we're seeing Dominique Daphne do, that's Deguara. And again, now we've got Tavon Austin, which is another piece. But but that's that's the full thing. Matt LaFleur has been chomping at the bit to get A.J. Dillon going all year. And the the bottom line is Aaron Jones is really, really good. A.J. Dillon was just not ready yet. But they decided to unleash the Hounds, and it worked, and Matt LaFleur lost it. And he's like, this is it. We're doing this forever. Aaron, I love you. Sit down. And again, he just said in the press conference, he's saying, go, more, more, more. And, and the running back coach had to come over and be like, dude, he needs to breathe. Matt, you're killing the guy. He's like, fine, Aaron. Go ahead, take your stupid carries, nine point three yards per carry, Aaron Jones. Jeez. I'm 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 telling you, he's psychotic about this guy. Which was my prediction at the beginning of the season. This is what Matt LaFleur wants, and as soon as it's ready, it's going. This might be it. Now I don't know. Again, we'll see what happens. I don't know exactly how Jamal would possibly change the the dynamic of this at all. And I'm sure there there are maybe matchup things. Um, there's, there's also pass protection, which again, he just said he's gotten so much better at, which maybe was the final thing, right? We can't put a, and and we saw that, right? The, the bigger issue, it's not just a running issue. If you're out there and all you're doing is running, we're basically telling the other team what we're doing. Well, you could pretend to run. No, because if you pretend to run, he has to do one of two things, either pass protect or run a route. Can he pass protect? Can he catch? We saw him catch passes. We saw him pass protect. I'm not kidding, man this might be it and it's it's exciting, but it also makes me unbelievably sad as I'm saying it like I'm I'm ridiculously sad right now. Um, I, I still think Aaron Jones is gonna be a massive component. Maybe it'll get a little closer to 5050 down the line, but I don't see I see no scenario in which they say that was awesome. Um, but let's let's put him back to number three. I think Aaron Jones Jamal Williams is our best duo. I don't I don't see any way that's possible. I mean that that literally may be like saying, Derrick Henry needs to be the number three. I don't know if A.J. Dillon is quite there yet because, again, I think Derrick Henry is A.J. Dillon but has that little bit of extra in terms of, you know, working through the fundamentals that you learn while being in the NFL for so many years. But I think the top-end potential of A.J. Dillon is higher than Derrick Henry, especially when you factor in how unbelievably good this offensive line is, how unbelievably good our quarterback is, how unbelievably good our our coach is, our wide receivers are, our, our tight ends are. What do you do? What do you do to stop this? And think how good the Packers have been in terms of time of possession and wearing down a defense. Now they've got A.J. Dillon doing a lot of that work, where he's going to smash you into the dirt and get yards while he does it. We're not just running just to make you tired and then we're going to punt. No, we're going to get first downs also. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This is just unfair. It's not... I feel like I should be donating to the Packers. I should... This isn't fair that I'm doing this for free. How is this allowed that I get to just watch this for free and I don't have to do anything? Do they know I'm not paying them a monthly fee? I feel like I'm committing a crime. And I'm not quite done talking about A.J. Dillon yet. We got one more thing to cover here before we continue on. Well, a couple things. First of all, um, I want to address the Aaron Jones injury. I think um, there was some question possibly coming into the game, but also a hip injury during the game. And so there probably will be a lot of people, and, and maybe there's some truth to it, saying A.J. Dillon isn't a thing, necessarily. The reason he got so many carries is because Jamal was out and AJ or Aaron Jones hurt his hip during the game. As of next week, every reason to believe that things go back to normal. Even if that's true, just by virtue of what he did in this game means he probably earned a, uh, a starting job, at least pretty close to 50-50 with Aaron Jones. But there's also this. Matt LaFleur said he approached A.J. Dillon before the game and said, you better be ready tonight, we're coming to you. So whatever happened to Aaron Jones during the game didn't really have all that much to do with the fact that they leaned heavily into A.J. Dillon. Also, Aaron Jones played by the end of the game, so obviously he came back and he was okay. So again, I don't know what exactly is happening. I just feel like, especially when you factor in, you know, very low to no chance Aaron Jones comes back next year, Um, basically 100% chance A.J. Dillon is our number one running back next year. Um, You know, you got to start sometime. Anyways, beyond that, very quickly, a lot of people out there were talking, love talking about the Packers draft. Um, Been getting attacked about Brian Gutekunst's draft prowess, which is absolutely stupid. The one thing that the people who keep coming at me about that can't do is provide one other GM that's doing a better job. Not one. I had one guy come at me to start talking about the Buffalo Bills guy, but can't list hardly anybody that's doing anything of any of the draft picks that they've made in the last three years, but instead talks about high-priced guys like Stephon Diggs as though paying one of the best wide receivers in football is a talent. Yeah, and Ryan Pace paid Khalil Mack. How much credit do you give a guy for that? Pretty close to zero, I'd say. That doesn't take a genius to be able to pull that off. In fact, if you're doing that, it has a lot to do with compensating for the fact that you can't draft for anything. you got to go out and pay everybody else because you can't draft. But once again, this entire team from top to bottom is a Brian Gutekunst team. Darnell Savage, Brian Gutekunst. Adrian Amos, Brian Gutekunst. Kamal Martin and Christian Kirksey and, and every other linebacker, Brian Gutekunst. Zadarius, Preston, Rashawn, Brian Gudikunst, Kingsley Kiki, Brian Gudikunst, Jair Alexander, best corner in football, Brian Gudikunst, Elton Jenkins, Brian Gudikunst, Billy Turner, Brian Gudikunst, add in now AJ Dillon. And again, it, it, everybody that wants to attack Brian Gudikunst every single week looks like a complete idiot. We should have drafted a wide receiver. Why? You think our offense needs help, number one offense in football right now? Having no problems throwing the football, and you're still gonna sit over there and kick and scream about a stupid wide receiver? What is wrong with you? I just I don't understand that. You shouldn't oh, you should have you should have done something else. Should have got a defensive tackle, then Derrick Henry wouldn't have run for three hundred yards against us. Oops. And so a couple things. Number one, everybody that said we should have done something, not looking great. But beyond that, saying that these guys are bad picks, as I said before, and I said this very recently, we have not seen a lot of these draft picks yet, but for every reason, there's every reason to believe that these are going to be good good football players because Brian Gutekunst is the one that picked. If you're doubting A.J. Dillon and and, and Jordan Love, you better watch out. Sure enough, we get a dose of A.J. Dillon. Is he good or is he a bust? What do you think? Did Brian Gutekunst do a good job or did he do a bad job? What are you thinking? And so again, I don't know what's going to happen, but are you seriously doubting Jordan Love right now? Not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Maybe we're talking three years down into the future. Great, I hope Aaron Rodgers plays until he's 90 years old and keeps winning Super Bowls forever. That's not the point. The point is, how good are you feeling about that pick all of a sudden? Again, top-end quarterback. He really is that, by the way. But a guy that maybe needs some time, and he's going to learn from one of the best quarterback coaches in all of football, behind one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game ever, in a scheme that is quarterback friendly, with weapons everywhere, offensive line, wide receiver, running back, tight end, everywhere. You still want to doubt Jordan Love, I dare you to go on Twitter and start talking trash. Go out and call those cold hard takes, say, hey, take a screenshot of this, I think Jordan Love is garbage. I dare you. I bet you won't do it. Where are your A.J. Dillon takes? Unbelievable! Rashan Gary and Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins all played a massive role in this game. That's our first, second, and third pick in the 2018 or 2019 draft. By the way, Jay Sternberger, as I said, exact same stats as Tunyon the year before Tunyon broke out. Kingsley Kiki was the next pick in the fifth round. He's looking pretty good. Jordan Love to be determined. AJ Dillon looks really good. Josiah DeGuara looked really good. Kamal Martin looked really good. John Runyon. These are our top. it's just it's, it's completely unheard of to have more than like two good players it's it's hard to find bad players even if you go back to 2018 which again he had the gm job for like a month before the draft showed up i'm exaggerating but about a month he still pulled jair alexander out of that and jk scott and mvs even even that is a is a pretty decent draft year and again, if you don't believe me, go find a better GM and tell me how many hits they have on a, on a year-to-year basis. When was the last time the Patriots have made uh, multiple good picks? Find me one in which he had three really good hits, because the Packers got it here. And by the way, I'm not even including Equinemius St. Brown. not talking elite, I'm talking contributor. Took three wide receivers in that draft, two of them are still with this team, one of them had a touchdown last night. These are our just, just our fill-ins until Matt LaFleur decides to actually draft a wide receiver, which he doesn't seem to need to do, because again, we got Lazard, we got MVS, we got EQ, we got Tunyon, and the best wide receiver in football. We're making do just fine. And then again, Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Elton and Chase Sternberger, Kingsley Kiki. You don't have stretches like that. And then this year, Jordan Love to be determined, AJ Dillon, freak, Josiah DeGuara looked real good before he got hurt, Kamal Martin is shockingly talented, John Runyon has come in and played in fits we and we haven't seen stepniak so we don't know what's happening there vernon scott is one of the highest graded safeties in football but a small sample size so it doesn't count jonathan garvin is that is that how far we have to go before we find a guy where it's like well that wasn't a good pick a seventh round pass rush our second seventh round pass rusher and i'm not saying these guys are going to be good stepniak probably won't be around long vernon scott probably won't stick around he'll be one of those guys that's like our fourth safety for about four years until it's time for a contract and they're like nah. Jake Hansen, maybe it's not going to pan out. John Runyon, maybe it won't pan out. I don't know. So what? So what? It's still a good draft. And I just want to remind you of something because I was—I was—I'll be completely honest. I was trying to look to dunk on a blue check mark about the AJ Dillon takes, and I couldn't find it. One guy I know has not said a bad thing about AJ Dillon is um, Colin Coward. In fact, he did say something else. I know it's weird to talk about Jordan Love, but I, I just—I just want to get excited about everything, and I want you to not forget that one of the best, hottest drafting GMs right now took a quarterback in the first round. And as crazy as some people thought it was, it really wasn't. This wasn't out of left field for people that know what they're talking about. I want to remind you of a clip that um, I just got rid of on accident. This is Colin Coward saying what he thinks makes the most sense for the Green Bay Packers. Ready? This is prior to the draft. Porter's.
0: Um, so I thought this was interesting. I'm sure it'll play well. Um, so I thought this was interesting. I'm sure. Um, so I thought this was interesting. I'm sure it'll play well with Aaron Rodgers. The Packers general manager acknowledges two reporters. He would use Green Bay's first round pick on a quarterback. Sure he would. You guys have heard me say this before. Everything I've been taught, that's where you start. You start with a quarterback. Now, when he says that, he knows he's not getting Joe Burrow, and he's not getting Tua, and he's not getting Justin Herbert. Who he's talking about is who the really smart people in the NFL like, but won't tell you, Jordan Love at Utah State. Jordan Love is what the future of the NFL looks like. He's 6'3 half, two twenty-five, 225, mobile, big arm, And if you just flipped his sophomore stats that were amazing with his junior stats, bad team that weren't, Jordan Love would be a top-five pick. What he's telling you is, the Packers general manager is, if Jordan Love is available, we're going to draft him. And for the record, damn straight they should. Because if you don't, New England is.
1: So look, again, all I'm saying is, if you're doubting this team, you're doing it wrong. If you're doubting this GM, you're doing it wrong. If you're doubting Matt LaFleur or anybody else, you're doing it wrong. This has been an absolutely masterful performance by a GM, and anyone that can't see that is a spoiled child. You cannot find hardly anything like this from anybody the closest you're going to find are the turnarounds done by john dorsey largely done because of massive improvements to the quarterback he didn't even i don't even know if he did this good of a job in kansas city maybe he did but the biggest improvement he did was pat mahomes which changed everything cleveland might actually be a closer one because not only did he get the quarterback but he completely overhauled the team he shipped off everybody and brought in all his own guys completely overhauled the team, and now we're seeing them get to the playoffs. The Packers essentially did that, but did it in a year. And no, it's not just Aaron Rodgers. That's such a stupid thing to say. The same Aaron Rodgers that hasn't done this since 2014 is now suddenly doing it in 2020. Six years later, it's all because of Aaron Rodgers and everything else is just lame excuses. No, it's not. Matt LaFleur plays a massive part of this. The guys that are being brought in that I already listed play a massive part of this. This is not simply Aaron Rodgers dragging a team. We know what that looks like, and this isn't it. We've seen Aaron Rodgers drag a football team. If you think that's what we're watching, dragging a football team, dragging a coach, dragging a GM, you're out of your mind. You're desperately clinging to this idea that the Packers are stupid and they suck, but they're just lucking into all these things. It's Aaron Rodgers that just drags all these people. We have incompetence everywhere, terrible football team, terrible GM, terrible... Who are the people that believe this stuff and why? Do you just have a really bad take that you refuse to give up on? Is that what this is? You're so stubborn and refuse to learn anything ever that you just can't let it go? It's a very good football team. And again, if you're doubting this team, if you're doubting our GM, and if you're doubting, the one thing that should scare everybody, I know it seems completely out of left field, why bring up Jordan Love right now? Because secretly, deep down, the one thing that nobody's looking at is the thing that should terrify everybody that is not a Green Bay Packer or a Green Bay Packers fan more than anything, and that is that Brian Gutekunst nailed the last two drafts, and his first pick was Jordan Love, and we haven't seen him yet. And we might not see him for a couple years, but that should terrify everybody, because the Packers did it once. The Packers did it twice, and there's a very real chance that number three is waiting in the wings, and the Packers stole him, as Colin Coward just said. Everybody in the NFL knows that this guy's special, and if the Packers wouldn't have taken him, the Patriots would have died to take him. And all these rumors, while they traded, that's stupid. Nobody would have taken him. That's idiotic. Why do you believe that? Well, because I heard it from somebody on ESPN. They said nobody was actually trading up. The Packers got duped because they're stupid. I think you got duped because you're stupid. Why do you believe these people? Moving on, let's look at the receivers. We're almost done. I, you know, we do have to get to the defense, but Devontae Adams with a masterful performance: 11 receptions, 142 yards, and three touchdowns. Almost nothing from anybody else. But again, what did I say was the key to this? Everybody has to make themselves available on offense. That's literally what I said. One reception from from EQ for a 21-yard touchdown. One reception from Tunyon for 17 yards. Two receptions from Aaron Jones for 14 yards. Two receptions from Alan Lazard for 14 yards. One reception from Dominique Daphne for 13 yards. Two receptions for Tavon Austin for 5 yards. One reception from A.J. Dillon for 5 yards. Did these guys make themselves available or not? I'm thinking yes. We come to the defensive side of the ball. Leading tackler was actually Chris Barnes. His We've seen his snap counts go up, up, up. Again, PFF is not the most impressed with him, but I know Packer fans are obsessed, and uh, seemingly Mike Pettin agrees. Um, clearly a talented guy in terms of athleticism. He probably has quite a bit going on upstairs based on the amount of snap counts he gets. I mean, that's that's a position where you got to really know what's going on. We know Christian Kirksey can do it, so if Chris Barnes is taking those snaps, he not only has the physical upside that, that Pettin likes, he has the mental attributes to know what he's doing out there. So that's a good sign. Um, Adrian Amos was number two. Looking at uh, sacks, we had credited Zedarius and Christian Kirksey. Obviously, there was more than that. We'll see what PFF has to say. Lots and lots and lots of pressure. It was, again, as I said, I'm tired of I don't care about the sacks. And again, there weren't that many sacks. What I care about is consistent dominance across the board. You saw what I said. Do you agree now? If I told you that this is what I was looking for, a defensive front that stops the run and brings consistent pressure, even though there weren't that many sacks. Even if you took away these sacks, are you okay? If you, t- if you had zero sacks, but the exact same amount of production in terms of stopping Derrick Henry and bringing consistent pressure constantly, would you still be okay with that or do you want to revert back to what we had? Because I'm keeping this all day. Forget the sacks, you can keep them. Give me a defensive front that shuts down the best running back in football and brings pressure consistently in a guy's face. We had a pick because, again, I, I think Rashawn Gary has, has had more interceptions on the season than 90% of the cornerbacks on in the NFL, based just based on the ones that he's caused. Three or four at least, and he had another one today. He was in a, in the quarterback's face. It goes floating up in the air, and we get a pick from Darnell Savage. Or was it Kirksey? I don't know. That consistent pressure along the defensive line was a Beautiful and master performance. Performance, and again, kudos to Mike Petton who's been mixing it up. He's still bringing that extra pressure. We saw Darnell Savage coming in hot. We saw Kevin King on a design pressure. I, I literally don't think he's ever been brought on a pressure before. He's had, he's been credited with sacks, but those are always after scrambles and things break down, and he tackles a quarterback in the backfield. And the only reason I remember that is because he'll have zero pressures on the season but like one sack or two sacks on the season and that happens like every year i literally don't think he's ever been brought on a pressure before mike Pettin dialed it up here let me just look because i'm curious one time in 2018 he was brought on a pressure he had two sacks in 2019 zero times were designed pressure again it's a quarterback is scrambling he breaks coverage and goes and tackles the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage only one time has he been on a design pressure. This was number two. So Mike Pettin is really, really starting to release the hounds. And listen, that may be entirely due to not just Pettin finally giving in. It may just be that he's really trusting his guys, right? He it's similar to what I said about Matt Lafleur. He can't fully unravel this playbook until his guys know what to do and how to do it. There's not a level of trust there. Perhaps. Guys are starting to not just execute, but really comprehend to the point where he can dial up these pressures and feel confident that there's going to be, you know, guys up front are going to do their job so that there's an open lane for him to run through, or the guys on the back end are going to be able to handle the coverage responsibilities with one less guy in coverage. Whatever the reason, it's working and it's beautiful. We had uh, tackles for a loss, one for Kenny Clark, one for Christian Kirksey, and then pass deflections. This is, this is, this is stupid. I've never, this is, un, this is ridiculous. Christian Kirksey with one, Darnell Savage with three, Adrian Amos with one, Preston Smith with one, Jair with three, Ty Summers with one. That's 10 pass deflections. I don't know if the, the interceptions are included in that. I think they are, but you had Christian Kirksey and Darnell Savage with a pick. So two picks and eight additional pass deflections is what is what I believe this is. This, 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 this was a perfect, perfect performance. I can't find one guy that I think did a bad job. I can't. Even, listen, J.K. Scott had a tackle on special teams in this game. It was the perfect game. I want to end with one thing here. Uh, Pro Football Focus did do, they do a preliminary recap, and it just, it gave me chills, so let's just run through this really quickly. Um, starts off, story of the game, A.J. Dillon also get it in the fun. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Now, they, they put a little note in here, the grades are not finalized yet. This is just a preliminary look at what they saw. The former Boston College back rumbled through the Green Bay snow, and Tennessee defenders shut your mouth for 124 yards and two touchdowns, including a 30-yard touchdown scamper on fourth down in the third quarter. I can't. I got to just. I got to pause it for a second. You ever get the chills that are so intense? It's like, if I don't stop, my voice is going to start shaking. I'm I'm a little weird, aren't I? It's getting kind of weird. It's just, it's just reality, though. Like, my voice was starting to shake a little bit. 30-yard touchdown scamper on fourth down in the third quarter. All right. Next paragraph, here we go. Ryan Tannehill and the Titans offense just couldn't get off the ground. Tannehill turned in one of his worst performances of the season, completing just 11 of 24 passes for 121 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. He also took two sacks on the night. He should finish PFF's grading reviews with a sub-60 PFF grade. Continuing... The Green Bay defense, on the other hand, had a field day against Tannehill and company. Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander both finished the game with 85-plus PFF coverage grades on the sec- on the first review. So the, the preliminary reviews are done. Both of those preliminary reviews had Darnell Savage and Jair possibly in the elites in terms of coverage. Second-year edge defender Rashawn Gary also turned in one of his best single-game performances of the season with multiple stops in the run game and a handful of pressure. Whew. One more. I can do this. One more paragraph. Rookie watch. It was Dylan's night. He totaled more than 90 yards after contact. (laughs) I'm going to read that again. Oh, I never want this to end. I'm just going to watch that game again. That's what I'm going to do. It was Dylan's night. He totaled more than 90 yards after contact and forced an incredible nine missed tackles on PFF's first review of the broadcast film. No other rookie even deserves a mention folks i have a feeling tomorrow is going to be a fun day when we go over what pff had to say i just oh my goodness i'll tell you what and i'm going to maybe create a post um get in the PackerNet podcast facebook group i'm just gonna i just want to have like a place where we can all just get together and have a good time so i want all your takes if you have questions give me questions if you have comments give me your comments thoughts whatever just tell me your thoughts after this game that's what the post is about we'll, we'll I'll, I'll look through that for tomorrow's um, episode. If there's questions, we'll get to that. Obviously, we're going to do PFF as well. But um, I just, I, I, this feels so good to just say what I have to say. I mean, and, and legitimately, if you want to call in, there is a phone number. Let's do that also. We're going to open up the request line. I forgot my number because it's been such a long time. There are some people that consistently will usually text, not call. I haven't gotten a lot of calls recently. The phone number is 608-501-0718. 608-501-0718. I think it'd be great to just start off the show with a bunch bunch of just, you know, just say what you want to say. Keep it short and sweet. Otherwise, I probably won't even listen to it because I got, you know, I'm a millennial, man. It's got to be short and sweet or I'm not going to pay attention to it. So don't give me a five-minute thing. But I mean, if you want to, you can. I, you know, it's open if you want to just call and scream and get excited. But, um, I want to give you that avenue as well to be able to, uh, Say what you want to say. Get it off your chest. And again, I'll put a post up if you'd rather just do that. But that's it. That's all I got, man. Perfect, perfect, perfect game. Perfect. Not doing game balls. The whole team gets a game ball. Everybody gets a ball. Nobody had a bad day. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm sure PFF will find a couple people that have bad days. I don't care. They can go pound sand. Everybody was perfect. Game ball goes to every single person ever. Have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.